0: Mm. Mm-hmm. you. The Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we're gonna we're gonna wrap this thing up yes. on social justice. We are done. Because we don't want to be a social justice podcast, but I feel like we've been that this summer. Yeah. But, but then when our neighborhoods have been burned down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. So um we're we're just entitling this. Biblical light on police, riots, and justice. It's kind of a catch-all, I guess. Yeah, we didn't know what else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're gonna finish up this series on social justice, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, uh, the rioting, the shouting, and everything that's been connected with it. So um, this is, as you said, it's it's uh, somewhat personal for us because we're, we're waiting for two major decisions right now to happen that are gonna affect our city and us, therefore, in a very real way and the decisions are regarding the shooting of Jacob Blake and also the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Um, They're they're both in the wings. And so we have little doubt that there's gonna be more rioting when these things are given. I do hope that they announce this stuff in like January.
1: Yeah, I'd love it to be- 10 degrees out. Yeah, or 10 below. I would even like it where it feels like you've, your nose has frozen off, you know, and just like, all right, we would welcome fires. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, we joke that's not true we're not advocating the burning yeah of- you're you're gonna someone's gonna snip up the audio and cnn you on that one right there Won't yep. be the first time uh the point we are making is that this is not merely some theoretical or abstract issue but something that for us is very real uh, for many who are listening about critical race theory blm uh, these kinds of things there's not a lot of personal impact unless you just hang out on Twitter all day. But even then, it's still abstract. Just, I mean, you're getting all angry. Yeah. But, um,
1: but it, I mean, but you didn't have anybody march through the, your neighborhood threatening you, you know, or walked into the restaurant and made you either stand up and say Black Lives Matter at the top of your lungs or you face a beatdown. Right. It's just, it's just theory it's for too the- many people.
0: For sure. Um, yeah, so but uh, because it is more real for us, we do find that people in our church are asking questions that are very real questions, and so if we're to be faithful as pastors, we must point them to the Word of God as their standard, which is what we have been trying to do, um, just to help people think through some of these issues. So, with that thought in mind, we decided the best way to close out this series is to take you through just some various passages that help frame our thinking in theology as it relates to. Um, you know, BLM, social justice, critical race theory, writing, and protests. And one thing we notice from many pastors who are on the other side, so to speak, is how they are very selective with the passages that they're they're using. And what we're discovering over and over is that little exegesis is occurring, and there's a focus on Old Testament passages, uh, and Old Testament passages that are primarily narrative, not didactic. Yeah. That is, they're not teaching propositionally. They're just stories, um, and they're trying to draw principles from those. Uh, there's also the tendency to take some of Jesus' words and elevate them above other Bible passages as well, uh, as if, you know, the so-called red letters are somehow more weightier uh, when they're not. Which uh, if is you have why. a good bibliology, right, right. Um, <clears throat> you understand that uh, all the New Testament writings stand on equal ground. So, so, these reflect serious problems in, as we said, bi- bibliology, their ecclesiology, their overall theology, and it is also a very bad indictment of their hermeneutics. Uh, we say this because it's why we are taking time to teach on all of these uh, more what we just call boring <laughs> subjects, because there is a massive pile of just horrid doctrine that's being, you know, shoving these various philosophies and worldviews down the throats of Christians. Uh, and all in the name of loving neighbors and loving justice. Um, Which, by the way, means that if you don't agree with them, you don't love your neighbor and you don't love justice. That's the indictment, which is false. So understand that there are more passages that we could consider than the ones we're going to talk about, but these are going to be the key ones that we think clearly instruct the Christian and the church as a whole on what to do or not to do, as well as how they should view what's happening right now in our society.
1: Right. So we'll start off with the first biggie. Um, It's found in Romans 1, 18 and following. Uh, It's a foundational passage, really, along with Romans 3 for everything that we see on any given day, peaceful day, uh, writing, it doesn't matter. Uh, In any given context, these two passages should really help you interpret what's happening. So good times, bad times, it doesn't matter. Uh, They remind us of what's really going on. And so Paul writes, for the wrath of God is, and and the for there is because he's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Why? Well, for for this reason, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Give me, uh, explain that, Paul. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, Uh, which would mean lesbianism. Uh, And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, homosexuality. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God, Gave them over to a depraved mind to do these things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and I always like this one, (laughs) disobedient to parents, without understanding. Untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy, not of discipline, but worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. So we would simply say when you look at any society anywhere in this present age that we dwell within, you're looking at a society in which this is the situation, right? Right. right. So they 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 know God, but they what do they say about him? Well, we don't believe there is a God, or that's not the God that we believe in. And and God says, no, I put the knowledge of myself in your heart and in the heavens, and you deny it. You you willfully deny it. And in fact, up at uh, verse eighteen, he says that they're in the active state. This is this is what you're you're kid who's living in your home is this is your wife or husband who doesn't know Christ, this is your neighbor, this is whoever it is. They are in the active process of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And so anytime you're gonna put your hope in those people to figure out how to do things the right way, you're already wrong. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, right? I mean you, you Well and they know it. Yeah. Because what we always point out about this passage is in order to suppress something that implies that you have it. <laughs> so they have the truth. And so they're pushing it down. They're suppressing it. They want it to just go away because they hate it. Um, and they're doing that in the realm of unrighteousness because that's what they are. Um, to the point that he says they're without excuse. Exactly. And that's why his wrath justly comes.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting because it's not, that wrath is not, it, it's something to be, uh, that will unfold in the, in the final judgment, but it's literally in the process right now of flowing out from heaven. Right. I remember when I preached on this, I'm like, most of us think of heaven as a happy place, a place of joy and and sunshine or something. Yeah. But Paul starts out and says, no. What? What? It is the source of the wrath of God, and it's flowing out of heaven onto the the, the,
0: the totality of humanity apart from Christ. It's yeah. it's a Damning passage. Well, and what's interesting about it is we do think about God's judgment and His wrath in terms of that end times final, fancy word eschatological wrath or yeah. judgment. But here in verse twenty four, um, the wrath is something that's presently taking place. Yeah. So verse twenty four, he says, therefore, as a result of this, God gave them over to the lusts of their heart to impurity. Okay, so you want to do that? Have fun. That's basically what he's saying. Just go do it.
1: And and yet it's also not written in the passive. It's not like God just lets them. He literally G- says, "Fine, right. you want that? Here it is," and He gives that that completely into them. And that's why, if you don't have if you don't have the gospel, there's only two things we would argue that will restrain these. Um, the one is the gospel. A changed life, a changed heart by the Spirit of God will then bring you back into conformity to God's will as you grow and are sanctified. But if you don't ever come to faith. The only other thing that you have that God has given for us is the governing authorities and the ability to punish. But in our society, in America, shoot, we can now have, quote unquote, a marriage between two men or two women. And that's not even, I mean, it's not punished. It's actually celebrated. And so that's why you're seeing this rapid decline around you, and you're wondering, what's happening? And you think, we need more laws. No. The laws can't change it. In fact, that we've already given over that. The only thing that's going to ultimately affect that will be the gospel, because—
0: Well, it's dealing with issues of truth, which is what we talk about all the time, um, because it's interesting the way he constructs this. In verse 24, it says, God gave them over— and then verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to those same passions, but sandwiched in between that is verse 24. Why did he give them over? Well, for they exchanged the truth of God for yeah. a lie. So so what did they do? They just bought into something that was a lie. That's what they'd done. What fixes lies? Well, the gospel. You have to bring truth. Um, so it's not legislation. It's not you know changing police tactics, merely these kinds of things. It's that's a good
1: point. Yeah. It's not going to be, we need to be more community oriented in our policing. We need right. to teach them greater de-escalation tactics. It's like, uh, actually, they need to cap a few more people with their weapons and <laughs> and they'll shut it down real quick. But that's yeah. just me and I don't need your emails. Yeah. But um,
0: where it gets sneaky, though, and what it, what's happening within the church right now is, and we talked about this on previous episodes on social justice, is when people begin to start making the gospel more than what the gospel mm-hmm. actually is. Mm-hmm. And so now they're saying the gospel involves these things, the, all right. these social justice realities. And it's like, nope,
1: no. 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 And it also, this is why it's not hard. It, this is not rocket science. When people say, well, critical race theory, okay, we don't buy into this Marxism, but we think it's a it's a useful tool for interpretation. It's It's a lie. It's a lie. It's it's premised is on on denial of God. It's it's premised is not the scripture. It's not uh, seeking to honor God, but it's elevating the creature, man, a specific race, whatever it might be, a specific economic model. All of these things, uh, beloved, if you could figure it out, it'll change you. You'll realize that they're all built on the sand that will never withstand the scrutiny. It, It just... It, all we're really watching is a power shift. You're, th- there's this massive move to shift the power from one group to a different group. It. But it's the same garbage. Yep. Um, but and, in the
0: name of equality. Right. So again,
1: this is why it gets sneaky. But that's that's probably our top passage, right? We always look at that and we're like, whatever you're coming up with, whatever new idea you think is going to be it, it doesn't change because man as a whole are actively suppressing
0: Yep. truth for a lie. So anything you come up with comes out of that system. And then
1: you wonder and scratch your head, why are my kids so problematic? Why are they this or that? Or why is there so much lies? What we need is more love. It's like, what the heck does that mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. No, what you need is to bow at the cross and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And in light of that, live in accordance to his will. Radical change then begins to take place. Yeah.
0: So that's Romans 1. Um, Another good one is Romans chapter three, um, where Paul writes this. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Um, and right, there's a very profound statement. Yes. We're yeah. just under sin. For as it is written, and he quotes the Old Testament, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless There is none who does good. There is not even one. So I hope, I mean, there's just, I hope you're getting the key word, which is none. (laughs) You sure? (laughs) Well, um, verse 13, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19 Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all of those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in this passage, much of what you know we just said in Romans one applies here as well. Yeah, he
1: just be, is more explicit. But but the key one that you said was that that every person and every entity in this age is under sin
0: and it's it's, a category.
1: Yeah, and it's a power. It's a power that you and I we can't we can't break. It's it's a power that dominates the age. And so every time you when you, when you're starting a i'm not we're we're not saying you shouldn't vote for a candidate we believe fervently in in the right and the need to vote but if you put your hope there you you've already bought into a lie i mean every entity including the united states of america is under sin and only christ will that sin ever get broken if
0: yeah. you will yeah so, so when you, as you're saying, when you look at the powers, you look at the institutions, to people, to save you or to affect real change, you're, you're fooling yourself. Yep. And I know, I think this is true for a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Christians right now. I mean, you just watch their social media; they're more known for their political candidate than they are the person of Christ. Yep. Um, and so they want social change as well, um, but they're forgetting that that begins with the gospel. Um, so, so strip everything away, and only one thing ultimately matters, it's if you are justified in God's sight, and he's clear about that in verse 20, and so again, it is the gospel alone, ultimately, that will affect true change.
1: What frustrates me, though, is any genuine Christian will agree with us on that, but it's almost theoretical, because then when you watch what comes from their mouth, which is an expression of their heart, you're like, but... Do you really believe that, that that's really the only thing that really matters, um, the amount of time and energy put toward fomenting change? I'm going to go and march and protest to show solidarity with my brothers and sisters, and I'm going to put up my placards, and I'm going to wear my mask or whatever it is. It's like only if you shift and make the gospel something more than what the scripture right? Exactly. Or, or different. I, I wouldn't want to call it more because it's less, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once you change the gospel, then you can do that. But until then...
0: Well, and that's what we're saying is a lot of these things are being packed under you know, that umbrella called the gospel, um, all these different causes, if you will. Um, and now what they're doing as a result is making these issues preeminent for all believers. So this is why we've worked so hard at trying to talk through these ideas of critical race theory and all the different analytical tools that are present and try to show that they're not gospel issues, despite the fact that so many want to keep making them yeah, gospel Yeah, you can issues. say it
1: all you want, but it doesn't make it go away.
0: Yeah, and because at the end of the day, they're, they're political worldviews or political ideologies that have come into the church, and we would say it as brutally as they've come in in sheep's clothing, but to deceive and to distract and ultimately, to, I would say, are going to destroy But so the gospel, you know, it's not about vague concepts or ideas, but about the resolution of sin and Satan and death. That's what the gospel is addressing fixing and resolving. And these are actual realities, you know, show a Christian their actual sin, and you can now call them to repent.
1: Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a neat thing? You can take a brother or sister in Christ and show them their sin and say, repent. You can take a non-believer, show them their sinfulness, the wrath of God, and call them to repent and turn to Christ. I mean, you actually have something concrete that right. you can offer to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I've heard a lot of—I've heard other pastors and stuff say, look, it, you, you can't just talk about the gospel because if someone comes to Christ, that still doesn't address all the issues of sin. There's still racism in people's hearts. You're right. Call them to repent. Yes. <laughs> what a <the> concept. <laughs> do, do, why are you trying to change systems? That's not where the issue is. The issue is in the hearts of people.
1: In fact, if you try to redefine your current cause as some sort of systemic sin that no one is actually committing, it's built into the systems, Um, a thinking Christian should just mock you. Yeah.
0: Well, and then they scratch their heads at why we all keep talking past each other. Right? Because you're, you're, you're trying to call people to an account on something they're not actually doing. You're trying to address a systemic point that's not in the heart of a person. So as a result, I'm not really certain what I'm supposed to do, which is why I think it was on our last episode, we said, we're still left wondering after the woke church, what we're supposed to be doing.
1: Yeah, because there is no answer. There is no hope because it's devoid of the gospel. And it And if you can get your head around that, then you can push past all of that noise that you got and um, and realize that they're still pushing something apart from repentance simply repent of your sin your actual sin as it's being revealed and you'll do fine in the long run so next passage that we would go to that uh, again there's many passages but we're just trying to grab the ones that really are big and define uh, us Romans 12 1 and 2. You know this one well. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, literally this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in Romans, this is where Paul makes that radical shift from theology to his application. And most of his other letters, it's almost right in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. So the first half is theology, and then he shifts with a therefore. Now this is what it looks like in your life. And, And I've learned over the years as a pastor that most of our error occurs when we choose to camp on one half or the other half. So we're all about the first half of Ephesians, let's say but we never quite get around to loving our wives or mm-hmm. obeying our parents. You know, we just can't quite do that. I, I, but, but we Christianize and say, well, we, we, we're struggling. And it's like, yeah, I don't see much struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just see a lot of the committing of sin. Um, and so you love your theology. You want to talk all about being elect before the foundation of the world and everything else, but you can't simply be a faithful citizen in a corrupt world. Um, or you go the other way, and you're all about what Paul is saying we are to do, but we you divorce it from the theology that is the foundation for it, and now you preach legalism. Yeah, exactly. And so both of those errors are so common, um, and, and so you become a theoretical theologian, or you become a legalist. But you once you marry them, Um, something good happened. So Paul is now doing that shift. He's he's just spent um, all this time about what is true, the indicative, with now what therefore is the imperative. What must we do? And this is his first salvo.
0: Right. So he starts out here that therefore, so in light of everything he's just written, um, brethren, by the mercies of God. And what he means there by that statement, that phrase, by the mercies of God, is essentially everything contained in chapters 1 through 11. Right. Those are the mercies, that theology right there.
1: Which which is what we just read. You're under his wrath. Yeah. Everything you're doing is because you're in active suppression of the truth. Um, you're under sin, and the only thing that can, you can do is be justified by faith in Christ and— and then he builds all of that in chapters 4, 5, 6, brought, seven. brought
0: into union with Christ to right. have been adopted by him, Romans chapter 8. You know, have the Spirit interceding on your behalf in prayer. You, um,
1: your, his grace abounds over your sin, all, the, all that good, good truth. stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you could paraphrase it then in light of that as, in light of everything we've learned, now do this. <laughs> and now he gives cha- uh, chapters 12 through 16, essentially, right? Um, so, so he says here now, our bodies are to be an ongoing sacrifice. He's picking up on Old Testament language here of this of, of you know the offerings and the sacrifices. Um, but the question to ask is, what does that look like? What does that now look like to offer yourself up as a sacrifice pleasing to God? Well, his answer is threefold. He says it's to be living, it's to be holy, and it's to be acceptable to God. Um, and and we would simply say that these all would be what Paul teaches now in chapters 12 through 16. Yeah.
1: So it's, again, he doesn't leave you wondering. A a living sacrifice versus a dead one is you can only kill the lamb once, right?
0: right? Then
1: it gets burned up or eaten or whatever happens. But a living sacrifice is an ongoing process. Holy is just sanctified and set apart and one that God would accept. So then the, the right question that people should say is, so what does that look like? And all you're saying is read chapters 12 through 16 yeah. and and practice those things.
0: Exactly, and it, when you're picking up on that Old Testament imagery, it's when you would offer the sacrifice, it's often described in the Old Testament as a pleasant aroma oh, know, yeah. going up yeah. to the nostrils yeah, 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 of yeah. God. Well, and, and now, when he since he's picking up that imagery, that's to be your life. Your life is to be this pleasing aroma. That's a good good to, line. To, to, to your father, yeah. Um, so, so then he teaches all this stuff in chapters 12 through 16. So here's here's some simple examples. Um, he says, for instance, in chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, let love, so this is a command, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And I would add to that, he is talking about primarily that which is within the church.
1: Because outside the church, well, we're going to get into it in in the next one, but outside the church, you're not going to be able to do those things. This is within the church. It's to be a community of people that's radically different than those outside. And so whenever the church starts to look very much like what's going on with unbelievers, alarm should come because... An unredeemed heart cannot produce a pleasing aroma, to do a riff off of your, right. your point. They can't do something acceptable to God. There's never a time where an unbeliever is pleasing to the Lord because by nature he is at enmity yes. with him. And and if you can't get that into your heart and out of theolo- theoretical theology and into how you see— Practical theology, yeah. Yourself and the world, then you'll you'll keep buying into these what we would call just worldly systems.
0: Yeah, and and so people love though to pick up on verses like this, this, this idea of love, giving preference, um, not lagging behind in diligence, having tender affection, all the one another's, and they'll apply that to you and the world. But, but no, he, he's speaking here primarily, and this is picked up, of course, in 1 John, um, about how we're to act toward one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, primarily. yeah. yeah. Um, not that it's like evil if it goes outside the walls of the church, but that's not the emphasis or the focus.
1: And it, But it's humorous because if you, a person was to take a tour of our downtown where all, the, all of our businesses are still boarded up and people have done all kinds of murals, you have all kinds, but one thing that happens all the time is a, a verse will be quoted, but and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you think an unbeliever is going to look at that verse and say, "Man, they're right," um, you're crazy. Right. They're, they're going to look at it and say, yeah, whatever, uh, because they're opposed to the very ordinances of God. And and so remember that the scripture is always going to point to what you do among one another, because the presumption is the world's going to hate you. Um, and that's another passage we won't even deal with tonight. But, I mean, if anyone who desires to live a go- godly in Christ will be persecuted, Paul tells Timothy. Just accept that, embrace that we're always going to be the odd man out. We're always going to be the homophobes. We're always going to be the this. We're always going to be that. Doesn't matter. These are the things you ought to be doing and, and just what you read. What's some yeah. other ones?
0: Yeah, so in, in twelve, chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, um just a few verses later, he also says, be of the same mind toward one another. Well, how can you be of the same mind, first of all, unless you're in Christ? Yeah, So, what does darkness and light have to do with each other? what does Jerusalem to do with Athens, right? To quote, what's his face? Um, But be of the same mind toward one another. Again, the focus here is within the church. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
1: That's, that's pretty strong words. And that's, a lot of that has to do with our interaction then with the unbelieving world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll give another one in Romans 13, 13 to 14. Uh, it, it, actually, Romans 13, 13 to 14, 1. Let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. And uh, that's actually just 13, verses 13 and 14. Um, Our job as a pastor would be so easy if we and our (laughs) congregation would just practice those things. It's You know, we got to be done with that. He's like, that's what a life-pleasing to God looks like. It's not you posting signs uh, in your front yard, Black Lives Matter, ooh, ooh." it's It's no. How about not carousing, being drunk, involved in any kind of sexual immorality or sensuality? Stop all your fighting, your jealousy, all that stuff. Instead, put on Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, So simple. And
0: then I also love that when he says, so make no provision for the flesh, uh, which is a command— That we often overlook and we wonder why we fall back into sin over and over again. And it's just like, because you think you're stronger than you are (laughs) and you keep providing opportunity for the flesh. So when it comes to all these issues and people being really discouraged and angry and upset with all the societal issues going on, it's like, well, get off Facebook, I would say.
1: I mean, disconnect.
0: Yeah. You're providing something for your flesh there and you're starting to think not biblically anymore. Um, another one is Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Uh, so there, the emphasis is on peace. Pursue these things. Actively pursue things which make for peace. I mean, I don't know how much we are thinking through that lens in our regular daily right. life. Right, <laughs> right.
1: How about this one? This one uh, interacts with um, the unbelieving world too in Romans 15, two through seven. Uh, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification or being built up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. Again, within the Community of believers according to Christ Jesus. Why? So that with one accord you may be with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, imagine this is where I, I thought Tisby was helpful in his book, even though I hate the book overall. He did a, a job of showing time and time again within the American church where the white Christian looked at the black brother in Christ and treated him as something less, something inferior. Imagine imagine early on in our history if we actually had, our our forefathers had embraced Mm -hmm. that idea of accept one another just as Christ accepted us in the glory of God. That would have been crazy. Um, Their whole racial interactions would be very different. But we'd also say, in the present day, imagine how the new social justice woke crowd would sound different today if they believed it too. So the sin is the same garbage, the same sin that they're hurling against us, saying you're guilty of your forefathers' error. But then they are now treating us as inherent racist because we're part of a system and all of that. You're still not accepting. Now, now that side is not accepting us as... Christ also accepted us. So the guilt is there. And that's where we would want to begin to repent is individually start to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and stop trying to define it in some political or racial distinction, but start to look and say, sinner accepted by Christ. And then you look in the mirror, sinner accepted by Christ. That's my brother
0: or that's my sister. And I will treat them exactly that way. If you could do that, radical change. Yeah. And let me just say one other word here about Romans 12, one through two. And we've said it before, but since we're on the passage, we'll just say it one more time. Um, I think it's important to understand the subtlety of how this happens. Um, He says, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. But then he gives the command, do not be conformed to this world, um, but be transformed. Uh, where in the renewing of your mind. So this right. is an issue of the mind, of truth right. again. Um, but it's important to understand these are passive verbs, meaning they're things that are happening oh, to you, yes, yes. right? So don't be conformed, which means there's something out there conforming you passively. In this age. In this age, right. He says, but instead be transformed again, it's another passive term, it's something that happens to you, how in the renewing of your mind, which we would argue is getting a biblical worldview and framework because if the Bible isn't shaping your mind and your worldview and your heart and your desires and all these different things, the reality is something else is because these are passive terms. If it's not the Bible, it's gonna be the world. And we would argue that's what's taking place with many of these ideologies is we've thrown off biblical worldview but it's been now replaced with things like critical race theory, um, Marxism, these sorts of things.
1: Well, you said in a a previous podcast, just the power of just learning to share your faith. You know, you start to look, when you're thinking theoretical and you're looking at the crowd and mass, um, there's no longer a face. You're you're just mad at them, whoever that might be. But when you actually look at one of them in, as an individual image-bearer who's at an enmity with God and under his wrath, and you actually were to be so kind as to share Christ with them and befriend them for the sake of the gospel, something, again, thats a that's now presenting your body as a living sacrifice right but now what happens is a spirit begins to do that work where your heart becomes transformed mm-hmm. and and no longer is this world defining you there's just so many ways when yeah. you're when you're pursuing peace when you're giving a cold cup of cold water to your enemy it's really hard to hate hard to hate them yeah in fact i pastorally whenever a person comes to my office and says they need counsel for bitterness about somebody i always ask them how do you pray for them? And invariably, they're not praying for them. They're bitter. They hate them. And it's like, you know what? The best thing I want you to, what your homework this week is I want you to do nothing but pray for them and not that they would treat you better or to pray for their good (laughs) well-being. Pray for God's blessing in their life. And it's invariably, they struggle with that because their heart is so filled with hatred. But as they learn to do it, it's weird how, in a good way, how-
0: Gives you heart for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Something, something changes, and you start to show tolerance and patience with them. And um, it's such a simple thing, is instead of trying to change a system, as an individual, start to obey what God has commanded. And all the things we had just read were commands, and there's many more in those uh, chapters. And what happens is the Spirit begins to transform a heart, and yeah. that's, that's a good well, thing.
0: and it is, and it's such a good point. And also, why we see a lot of evil in social media because it allows you to divorce the flesh and blood from a person. It allows you to not have to think about the fact that they're an image bearer. They're just an enemy who disagrees with you. Yeah. So now you have to get your pound of flesh, if you will. But if you have to actively do good to someone, it changes the game.
1: Yeah. All right, so Romans 13, is it my turn?
0: Um, It doesn't
1: matter, I'll just take it. Go for it. Okay, now, now get how broad this statement is. "...every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will, not may, will receive condemnation upon themselves." For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. Why? For it is a minister of God. That's a, an amazing statement. For it is a minister of God, an avenger. That's not kind and gentle. That's not de escalation. Uh, it is an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience' sake. Now that's the key passage we always remember when we start hearing and seeing Christians getting involved in these so-called peace, peaceful protests and how they describe recent events. And look, you know, you have to understand that's their anger, and that's why these buildings burned. And it's like, no, 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 no. Paul Paul says all authority exists by God. Mm-hmm. So so when you're resisting those. So, so when every time you see somebody getting arrested, you see people jumping on the backs of the police officers and trying to rip them off them, or you see like in what was it, Seattle, where the guy came running up and took a baseball bat to the, yeah. guy, the police's head, any of that stuff, that's evil. Right. And literally, what is happening is that the police officers and the governing authorities should be able to exercise their God-given authority to actually put that person down. That's that's what that
0: avenging is. And make you afraid. Yeah. He says, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. You should be. But what we've done is we've so corrupted it in our country that the
1: police are the ones who are almost afraid now because no longer does the general public look at them with respect. I mean, every time you're blocking traffic, every time you're uh going onto people's private property, every anytime you're getting in their face and screaming and vile things or or slapping down their iPhone because they're trying to tape you or whatever it might be, all of that is being tolerated because they no longer fear the governing authorities. And and what they don't realize is that the governing authority has really only one thing. Though if you're do evil the only thing they can do is punish you, and and so at some point, the governing authorities will either just give up and walk away, and we'll have a whole system change, which won't be good because it's still under sin, or they will come back, and it'll be ugly, and people will be stunned at the ferocity of what it looks like. Yeah. So, again— when we hear people whining, grumbling, we're going to protest, we're going to go with the brothers and show solidarity. We just say, "Are you showing a spirit of subjection to your governing authorities?" Mm-hmm. And every time I hear a preacher who quotes Breonna Taylor, or or Jacob Blake, or anybody else, and, and somehow makes them the victim, it's like you don't understand what's going on. Then you have literally taken the persons that the governing authorities, who are ministers of God, who are there to protect the good and to punish the evildoer, you're making them the evildoer and you're making the evildoer the victim. And it's like, you've turned it upside down and I, I expect that of the world, but I cannot ever accept that from a Christian who is going to do that. It's wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the accusation is on this is, yeah, you can read Romans 13 fine, but what happens when that government is then unjust? well, Paul is writing this when, <laughs> you know, Nero is in power. Uh, you want to talk about unjust governmental powers. Um, Paul understands that, but he still writes these in such absolute terms, which is amazing to me.
1: And, and Paul, Paul himself says that I, I bear the scars mm-hmm. of beatings and stonings and imprisonments. I, it's, he's, it's not like he's unacquainted with these things. Sure. He's doing things that you and I have never endured but it's always for the gospel. His beatings come, not because he was hurling a Molotov cocktail and the cops came down on him hard. Uh, he's he's being imprisoned and beaten because he's preaching people everywhere to repent and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a
0: radical difference. Yeah. So another one is Galatians 3.28. Um, Paul writes there that famous uh, verse. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, the words here are not hard to see and understand, but they are hard for us to apply, and we would say just because of the flesh. So so this is not a passage that speaks to roles, but rather to position before God and man. And this is that classic one that we, like when we're in Ethiopia all the time, uh, that they'll quote it to us regarding like women, women being preachers. able to preach, yeah. these kinds of things. So again, he's not talking about roles, um, or, or certain things like that, or authority within the church. Uh, though tr- many try to use it as that. Um, nor can you say that a Christian slave was now not a slave.
1: Yeah, he's not saying there's neither slave nor free. I Meaning, see, they're all. I mean, it's yeah. like first of all, how do you stop being a slave or free? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> we want to say, see, slaves are to free, be free. Well, okay, well, what, what about, about the free man, man then? Exactly. You know? And right.
0: so it's talking about your, your your position before God. That it is not the fact that you are a slave or the fact that you're a free person that makes you just right. or righteous before God. Um, that's his point. Um, the point is that in Christ, they're all one. They've been brought in the, into that blood-bought unity through the Spirit. So because of that, they are now to view each other as brothers and sisters, and therefore treat one another radically different than from the unbeliever. Right. Um, so, So we see in history, or today, Christians trying to make other Christians some in some way a lower level tier believer um
1: and we react to that We react and we should it's like you can't do it so when your black brother who's woke is telling you that you're a racist you should react to that it's like you you are now making me less even though you can't point to anything you're just saying because you belong to the white establishment or whatever it might be you you you're now no longer looking at your brother as one in christ and and there's a there's a deep problem yeah
0: um, so while roles that are either socially driven or biblically derived exist when dealing with another Christian, uh, we would just say you're you're always to show them honor as a fellow believer. It's not your status or position that makes you better or worse. It's just that you're in Christ. We're equal, and we should treat each other as such.
1: And so I, I would actually believe that if this were taught and practiced in any social situation, that given time, most social evils, for lack of a better, better term, would resolve themselves without a need for overthrowing the social order via riots, riot, civil war, or such. I don't know, have we talked about this personally? I, I just, I really think that a lot of things we try to do through force, where if we were just busy with the gospel, it would it would have its own leavening effect right. in the society, and a lot of these things would just simply go away because now you have more and more people who are looking at something through a biblical lens. So, whether it be the oppression of women or the or or something like this, um, the best way to handle that is through the gospel and beginning to see these people as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as that's modeled, uh, it becomes a at least within the church, a way yeah. in which these roles and these evils just begin to go away. You realize, I may have a slave, but I can't treat them like I always have. And that's what right. we're going to get to in the next passage. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So then in Ephesians 6, he says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will." render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So this, this would be one of many places that Paul could have easily done away with social structures if you wanted to uh slave master relationships yeah. for example uh, but he doesn't at all that's not his focus that's not his goal um and that that's not the touchdown for him um you know critical race theory and social justice people love to tell us that the slavery of israel was not the same as the stuff in our nation yeah that chattel exactly. slavery and stuff like that um but what they what they tend to do then is they underplay that the roman empire had a thriving slave trade that was much like the us's and that's that's the context in which Paul is speaking. Right. Um, but but both slave and master here were coming to faith. Um, but that did not mean that the slave was just therefore to be freed or that the ma- master was to somehow repent and free that slave. Um, and certainly there were no reparations being commanded here.
1: Yeah, the master, he doesn't command the master and do reparations or telling the slaves. You're no longer... Demand from your believing master that you be free, because we're all one in Christ.
0: Right. None of that's there. Yeah, I mean, instead of you know Paul being a social justice warrior, um, Paul instead teaches that in light of the gospel and their faith in Christ, uh, that very different changes should become the norm. Um, so, so not freedom here. That's not what he's saying. Um, he's not prohibiting And we're not arguing for slavery either, so <laughs> understand that. Um, but in the context here, Paul is not freeing them. and But, yeah, again, he's not forbidding the freedom or the freeing of a slave either. It's just not the point. That's not the right. focus at all. Um, and we would say, you know, make certain that you grasp that. The, these are commands that refusal to obey would result in church discipline.
1: Yeah, a slave that refuses to obey his master and and— be an eye-pleaser to man, that's actually sin, and the church should discipline them if they won't repent. A master who will mistreat his slaves and not treat them like he would want to be treated because he has a master in heaven, that that master would be subject.
0: Yeah, and the implication there is that it is possible to have justice and equity within a slave-master relationship, Yes, um, which is... Interesting if you just sit there and think about it for a while.
1: I think a lot of people would do well of just letting that run in their mind and just think about the massive implications of that.
0: Yeah. So so a master is to become a really good master, but he's still a master. Yes. And a slave it potentially can remain a slave, but he is to be a faithful uh, master-honoring slave, sure.
1: if you will. Uh, and then there's uh, Philemon. Um, we won't read the whole book, you guys know the story or the letter. Philemon was a beloved brother in Christ, though, uh, according to verse 1. In verses 4 and 5, he's a man who's known for love and faith toward Christ and fellow believers. And I, I think it's worth noting that that's already true of Philemon. Uh, Philemon, Philemon. Uh, not that this was something Philemon was to strive to become, um, but he was also, at the same time, a slave owner. Now, imagine what Chandler or Tisby would be saying right now. He can't be a man of love and faith. He's a slave owner. He's, he's a racist bigot oppressing his fellow man. Paul looks at him and says, you got slaves, but you are a man of love and faith toward Christ and fellow believers. And so in verse 8, Paul recognizes that he could order Philemon or Philemon. Uh, we have a friend, and you pronounce his name Philemon. That's why we keep uh, doing that. Uh he could order Philemon to free Onesimus, but he doesn't do that. In that verse, it actually says this, in order you to, or to order you to do what is proper. Now, that little phrase, to order you to do what is proper, gets seized on to try to say that it's improper to have a slave. But that's not what it says at all. And the context gives a very different meaning. Actually, what to do what is proper is, Paul needs Onesimus. And he could order Philemon to or Philemon to give him up, Free him and let Paul have him back. That's the that's what would be proper. Just give me your slave. But he doesn't because he wants to appeal to him as a brother. He he sends a slave back to his master, which speaks so much about Onesimus because he was described as being worthless. He was a worthless slave, <laughs> yeah. and he ran away. And he sends him back. That that would be frightening.
0: And what's interesting though is Paul is requesting him because he's useful to me. Um, it's a utilitarian word. He's not saying, send him to me because he bears the image of God. He's yes. saying, free him because he's useful to me now. Yes.
1: And he is busy about the gospel. Now, that's just crazy. Think about how we'll celebrate the Underground Railroad. And and we're, if a runaway slave and they come back, come in as the Christians would then gather them. But just think about What Paul is saying, he's like, I found out he was a runaway slave. He became a brother in Christ, and my task is send it back to his uh, master, and I'm going to request that Philemon would then graciously uh, free him. Um, Paul desires that out of Philemon's free will, he would free him to be able to go back and serve Paul. And so he gently appeals rather than thunderously commands or begins to commit acts of violence or the promotion of violence. Philemon is a wonderful little book, and it says a lot more against the critical race theory and social justice kind of
0: movement we see than in any way promoting it. Yeah. So in conclusion uh, here, just to wrap this up, we could do many other passages, uh, but these are just some of the big ones that we find ourselves remembering and reflecting upon as the various events and words come flying our way. Um, And we are disturbed at how deficient the whole woke movement is with sound biblical exposition and exegesis. They are appealing to corporate guilt and emotion and improperly applied Bible texts. Um, And what it really reveals is how little the scripture actually controls them. And that's the bottom line here. We can say that, you know, we can say the same about anyone on the far opposite spectrum as well. Um, so, kinists. You want to describe kinists? Yeah,
1: kinism, if you don't know what it is, it um, it's actually rather old, but it developed within the Presbyterian Church. And it was this idea, and it's part of the Reconstructionism, uh, so it's a good post-millennial uh, si- uh, subset. Um, and they, they basically argued that each race should stay within its own race. It, if you talk to a thinking kinist— um, they would argue, no, we don't look at the other races as inferior. We just believe that God wants the whites with the whites and the blacks with the blacks. It's still very wrong and is problematic. But and but that's a pop. That's actually a, a, a view that you'll see in various parts of the the Christian world, and they're, they they call themselves kinnis. You 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 are to go according to your own Kin, kind. Yeah,
0: and p- picking up on probably some of those Old Testament passages yep. where Israel was forbidden to marry outside of. Israel, yeah, and it
1: actually gets into our other podcasts that we're doing on ecclesiology, how you view the church, and so you can go back in the Old Testament, and because they're part of the church, um, we can make certain arguments. Because the Jews, the
0: Israelites, were
1: forbidden to marry
0: outsiders. Yeah, um, yeah. So, well, in light of that, though, we would say kinists <laughs> therefore need to repent. Yeah. just as much as you know the the systemic racism, BLM folks within the church. So until that happens, the the middle ground where both sides may have points of disagreement, but also a genuine love for one another and a a desire to talk and grow and learn are are just too often drowned out. And that is what we want to fight for, at least. So um, let me just leave you with these words coming from Jude uh, 24 and 25, when he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever.
1: All right, so we ask you, uh, if this was helpful, send us a message. We really do like hearing from you. Let us know uh, that you're listening, how we can be of help. We also ask you to give us a a, a good review, preferably on iTunes, as it helps us get found on the internet. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, tell a friend. Better yet, listen to it with a friend who hasn't heard us before.